Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Um. The name is Sports Pod, not your weekly Sports Pod. Welcome back <laughs> to another episode of your favorite sports pod that does non-sports things from time to time, right? We've dipped into movies before, we've dipped into some politics, and we're going back into the spy world with this one. Okay. We're doing rewatchable style on one of my favorite movies of all time, one of my favorite Bond movies casino royale baby nabil real deal talk to me brother what's up bro what can we say like this is when we truly whip out the not and not your weekly sports pod and this is i think when we're at our greatest bro like when we talk about these movie pods and what is a better character to talk about that we haven't brought up till you know the guy who's about to celebrate his last movie as the iconic james bond bro we're talking nothing but 007 fam i'm so fucking excited for this one so there's so much to get into with this one, right? If you've listened to any of our former Rewatchables podcasts, you know we dive into the movie a little bit, maybe cultural stuff, maybe acting stuff, uh, impressions on us and whatnot, and then we get into categories, right? Categories include most rewatchable scenes, the timeless moments that if you're sitting there in your living room and your girlfriend is begging you to go wash the dishes or clean your baby's diaper or do whatever godforsaken mission she sends you on you're finishing this goddamn scene on the tv before you do whatever you have to do so that's one of them what's aged the best what's aged the worst about the movies our six-man award who comes in and gives us a fiery blazy performance and then we do some half-ass internet research too and talk about casting what ifs and man there's a fucking lot to talk about with casting what ifs on this one bro so we i don't know if we brought this up to the fucking you know to the viewer or not but Talk, we're not talking about any old 007 movie, bro. Which 007 movie are we talking about today? This is Casino right Royale. Damn. Exclusively Casino Royale. The I first like feature Bond movie for Daniel Craig, 2006. Uh, it was the 21st Bond movie for Eon Productions based on Ian Fleming's novels way back in the day. Fuck Tim Duncan, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always down for Spurs shitting. <laughs> 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, $167 million in the box office, 600000 worldwide. It was the highest ever James Bond grossing movie until Skyfall surpassed it in 2012, which is one of my other all-time Bond movies. I want to give you a quote that Roger Ebert gave regarding this movie in his review before he passed away. Um, and it's going to kind of preface a lot of what we'll talk about. He said... He gave him four out of five stars, or four out of four stars, by the way. And he said that Craig makes a superb bond who gives the sense of a hard man wounded by life and his job who nevertheless cares about people and right and wrong. And that the film, quote unquote, has the answers to all of my complaints about 45-year-old James Bond series, specifically why nobody in a Bond movie ever seems to have any real emotions. And so there's a lot to talk about that as it relates to James Bond himself, 007, portrayed by Daniel Craig. 
Talk to me about your impressions on Daniel Craig. Just going into this movie, yeah. did you know a lot about him, and how did he come across to you yes. as James Bond? So I remember, like, I watched a movie earlier. I remember in 2005, Munich, uh, and that's pretty much where I really got to see Daniel Craig. And I remember there was another one that I saw as well. I saw Lair Cake, which was a really good movie that was essentially Daniel Craig. That's pretty much people. What the movie that they called the audition Daniel Craig essentially played to win James Bond was that movie. So I saw a couple of those. And I'm like, all right, this guy has something. But I just remember the hatred, bro, that was just coming out after having somebody like Pierce Brosnan be Bond, which was pretty much like what Ian Fleming had envisioned James Bond to look like from going to that to having blonde and blue eyed, like uh, James Bond. I never, I never understood why that was such a big deal, but I remember, you know, the hatred just going in for that alone was just fucking insane. And I, the fact that he came out the other end with a masterpiece like this, you know, kudos to Mr. Craig. They called him James blonde prior to the movie coming out. It's funny because I think every living James Bond actor at that time endorsed this selection Easily, for yeah. James Bond. Daniel Craig portraying this role, but again, you know, he didn't fit the typical trope of yeah. the long, slender man with black hair, uh, British, you know, origins. But now that we're here at this point in 2021 with him giving his final performance, he's the longest ever tenured Bond from 06 to 2021 five total bond films i think tie i think that ties sean connery yeah. for most bond films right yep and you know this is eon's motivation they he initially turned down this role mm -hmm. daniel craig did thinking that you know he doesn't he didn't agree with the tropes that the james bond series portrayed but eon's motivation for this to be a grittier less experienced james bond who just got his license to kill is what drew him in along with the script so i think he absolutely killed this role and one of the things that's new about this series we'll talk about new and old as far as how this relates to the 007 legacy is he loses in this movie right absolutely you know he loses multiple times he's usually two steps ahead of the game usually has a contingency plan for his contingency plans uh, but in this movie he loses he loses initially with the poker game um, he loses when Lashif realizes he's not going to give him any information in that torture scene, which, oh, my, I'm so excited to unpackage that. Uh, and he's about to get killed, and then he loses again hard when the love of his life, Vesper, ends up dying, and he can't rescue her in time. So it's a different tone, man, but still an old-world feel to the film. Oh, absolutely. So tell me a little bit about that. Like, overall, what were your impressions of it the first time you saw it? I personally thought it, this... This went beyond what a typical Bond movie was at a time, right? A Bond movie was, in your opinion, usually just going to be a good, you know, summer blockbuster that you go, you can turn your mind off and just enjoy it, you know, for what it really is and not take it too seriously. This one was the first Bond movie that I thought could be in contention for an Academy Award or should have been nominated for some sort of Academy Award. Uh, just shot beautifully, acted, you know, to the fuck, you know, there's a thing for what I've seen Hollywood start with. And I think Craig was in the reconnaissance era of that, which, which, which was making your lead character or, you know, pretty much a big name that's already established, making it being played by somebody who had Broadway experience and pretty much was playing more in a Shakespearean role prior to being a really big action hero, right? Craig was pretty much being on Broadway and you brought him to play fucking James Bond. And he, I think, played it differently than any fucking James Bond has ever played it before. So I think having that background brought in James Bond, I thought was fucking phenomenal. And I think, you know, again, he brought that in. And I thought the way it was shot, the way that the characters were brought. Um, this was a new era of James Bond, bro. This, the James Bond to this is similar. I think what we talked offline is pretty much what Batman was previously. Oh, yeah. To what we have, uh, to what fucking, you know, Christopher Nolan, Nolan brought, brought in, in yeah. to like, you know, the serious 
guy with a human, you know, human atmosphere to him and a humanistic story more than anything else. You know, James Bond was, I thought, like a fucking caricature character of himself. And now you brought him to be a serious, you know, real world character for what he really is, which was a guy fresh out the fucking army playing in the Secret Service. And that's what this guy looks like and acts like. And, you know, you bring that to fruition and it's really our Nolanization of fucking, you know, of uh, of James Bond. And it's it's beautiful. I couldn't have asked for a better player but to, or a better James Bond to have this for the next 10 years. Bro, well said. I, I want to touch on so many of the things you just said. Um, man, as far as the way it was shot, it was shot on film, like we mentioned before. Very minimal use of CGI in this movie. A lot of the effects are practical, right? Yeah. The opening chase scene, which we'll talk about. All practical effects took them like seven weeks to shoot. So the stunts are practical. There's high class sets and locations, oh, exotic location. There's fucking crossfades used on scene transitions. And then there's even romantic lighting that makes it feel timeless and even out of time at certain points. And so we're seeing, even with all this old stuff, the franchise updated right before our eyes with what you mentioned. Daniel Craig, this whole story is. Uh, view of how his character develops and becomes James Bond. It's really a Bond origin movie, Absolutely. right? Which we haven't had before. It's Batman Begins. Batman Begins yeah. for James Bond. Exactly. Well said. That's that's the best analogy I could ever think of. Um, even like the final scene, dude. <laughs> the final <laughs> scene is new and old. You see Bond shoot the bad guy and he appears in a navy blue three-piece suit version of the same suit Sean Connery wore in Goldfinger. Uh, but this time he's holding a rifle instead oh, yeah. of the traditional Bond gun. So the main tropes we talked about are flipped on their heads, which is why Craig signed on to play this Bond. Uh, and I think, honestly, the best James Bond I've ever seen is Daniel Craig's Bond. Yeah, dude. Like I think it's crazy. Like Every old man that I've talked to talks about like how their version of Bond was you know, the best version of Bond that they could t- talk about. And I think we have our era's version of bond that i think sets the gold standard for the next bond you know to come in our life in our, in our, in our lifetime i think this guy is going to go down as one of the goats and i think this is the best that we've ever seen and whoever has to get the mantle next has really big fucking shoes to fill for the next 10 to 15 years bro living up to daniel craig yeah oh man there's <laughs> it's going to be tough there's a lot of there's a lot of names in the hat which we'll talk about later when we go to casting what ifs um but he blew me away in this movie specifically. Casino Royale, the start of Craig's Bond. This is maybe his best performance as Bond. Maybe not the best Bond movie ever, but possibly the best Craig played in you know a beautifully told story. So we're going to get into all this stuff, man. Let's go into the most rewatchable scene. We're starting oh, our categories. So most rewatchable scene. Nabil, I think we're going to try to go in chronological order. Okay. I'm nominating a few scenes for this award. For it, I don't bro. know how many you have, but I think if we're going chronologically, your opening scene is the first one. So go ahead, dude. Yeah, dude. For me, like I would say like the most rewatchable scene for me was the actual start of the fucking movie where you get so much of the pre-character show uh, in black and white, dude, for crying out loud. And the best part about it is... Shot you know, like Hitchcock style. Exactly, dude. All black and white, all gritty. We see first and foremost, this Bond is different, right? None of that, you know, play fighting shit, you know, one fight, two fight. This guy looks like a fucking UFC fighter trying to kill a man in a black and white sequence. Like, this guy knows how to fight. You see that, and then you see him, you know, pretty much going to go over a second kill, essentially, more than anything else when he's talking to this guy. And... 
he has his two kills that he needs to be able to be, you know, 007 after you get your first two kills. We see that within that first two minutes. And more importantly, the gun barrel sequence, bro. Like, the gun barrel sequence is used for the first time in the actual continuity of a movie, meaning something to the plot where he gets his first kill as, you know, trying to become 007. And then the fucking scene cuts from all black and white to all red with blood. I mean, it was just so beautifully shot, dude. And, and to be done in 2006 and to be done as an origin story, bravo. You want to talk about beautifully shot? He's on the elevator on the way up to get that kill. And the elevator stops on the sixth floor, signifying he's not 007 yet. He hasn't gotten that license to kill. Um, and you talk about the flashback, man. So that opening scene is a flashback shot yep. in black and white, right? And then there's a flashback within the flashback that's in black and white with overexposure on the film to make it more evident that it's another flashback. Beautifully done. Uh, just to kind of get our, ahead of ourselves on half-ass internet research, you know, in that fight scene in the flashback, Craig actually loses his two front teeth. Oh my God, Fucking Dennis crazy. had to come in from London into Prague to oh fix God. them and put them back. And as someone who's lost a tooth, it's a pain in the ass process. So guy. kudos to Craig, man. Yeah, he's broken his legs. Like, it, the, the, to, be, to be able to do this shit is fucking ridiculous, man. So beautiful scene. I like that one. It really set the tone that, like you said, this isn't you know the usual Bond that you're used to from the 80s and 90s shit from the 60s, 70s, 80s, oh God. and 90s. Yeah, any era. So for me, my opening scene uh, was the opening run chase. The parkour, parkour. The parkour, parkour, man. So you know the guy he's running against, Sebastian Foucault, is the founder of parkour. That's Le parkour, as he calls it. Uh, he'd never acted before, no Hollywood experience. And he kills it, dude. He yeah. kills it as the fir really the first guy that Bond's going against uh, in the story. And that whole scene took them like seven weeks to shoot. No CGI, all practical effects. The beam tower scene where Bond is jumping from one beam to the next, shot in one take. Unbelievable stuff, yeah, man. Throws Cra a gun at his head. <laughs> What's that? Throws a gun at his head on top of a fucking beam. On top of a beam. Fucking wild. So that one for me set the tone. And like you see... You know, the physicality of Daniel yeah. Craig's Bond, which Brosnan was always kind of the, the spy with the tools and the gadgets and the know-how, but Craig is much more physical and it's a lot, there's a lot more consequences on his body oh, yeah. as any Bond we had seen up to this point. Dude's a fucking glorified stuntman in this movie, bro. Like, like this whole series, essentially. And the craziest thing was, dude, for the longest time, I thought he was that was fucking Usain Bolt in the whole, in the whole movie. I thought that was like, uh, I was literally thinking that Bond's chasing Bolt for the, like the longest time. And it's crazy to see like Daniel Craig keeping up and doing his own stunts too. Like his is, own stunts, yeah. It's it's crazy, bro. He's been doing that this whole time. It's like, yo, man, he's it's like the equivalent of the fucking Tom Cruise doing the Mission Impossible series, right? It's like the first time he's seen a Bond just be like, all right, I'm a brute. I'm just gonna be going for it. He said, uh, I quote Craig in saying. At some point at the end of filming, when they asked him what it felt like to have finally finished the role of Bond in Casino Royale, he said it was a constant state of pain oh, from all the stunts and the toll it took on his body. So kudos to him, man. Not yeah. only did he steal the show with his performance in this movie, but physically, I mean, he stole yeah. the show and sold it himself without a stunt double. So absolutely well said. Uh, I've got a few more here. Which ones? Yeah. Which ones did you have? Let's throw yours out there. My two were the the parkour, parkour, and the black and white credit, bro. That, those were those were two my my most rewatchables. I would say more than anything else. Okay, I like it when um. What are my other rewatchable scenes? I've got four more. Okay, I talked. So me. just dance with me here. Dance. Let's do it. You know they start playing poker in Nassau in the Bahamas, mm -hmm. right? Nas. I probably mispronounced the shit out of that. And 
you know, there there's the whole scene of them starting in the poker game and the stakes that are at play and the reasoning behind it. You know, Craig's bond is there to stop uh, Le Chiffre, played by Mark. What's his Mads, name? Mads Mikkelsen. Mads Mikkelsen. Well, beautifully played. We'll get into him. Um, and he's there to stop him from winning a high stakes game to pay back uh, someone he owes a heavy debt to. So I enjoyed it where he goes to spy on the chief and the chief's about to get executed by the assassins sent by the people he owes money to the African guys. And, you know, it gets to the point where bond has to fight them because they discover him spying on them. And it's the knife scene in the stairway. You remember? Yep. The, the fight, uh, the fucking fight sequence was well. And then Vesper has to fucking kill as well. And th- yeah, that was wild, dude. So the my favorite part about that, man, again, to go back to breaking tropes in a Bond movie. Yeah. Bond ends up, they kill the African guy. And this is Vesper's first witness of death. You know, she yep. finally sees what's behind the cufflinks and the martinis. This is what being Bond is about. And they go in the shower and they do the shower scene where Daniel Craig comforts her while the water's running on them, fully clothed, and, you know, you have the damsel in distress moment. Now, in a typical Bond movie, Bond saves the woman, they have a moment, boom, they have sex together, he sleeps with her, right? This one, he comforts her, he puts her to bed, and he kind of stands at the doorway and reflects. Beautifully done. Beautifully done in setting up their relationship and making it pay off so much more when they finally get together and fall in love. As opposed to, you know, busting your load early and exposing this. Yeah, no, absolutely. This could have been taken so many different ways. And I think it broke that faux pas of what uh, traditionally Bond was going to do. I know, like, they were talking about with that scene. At first, she was supposed to be, like, in her underwear, I believe. Like, yeah. yeah. And then Craig essentially told, like, uh, the director, no, I think, you know, if she's in a moment of distress like this, I don't think she's going to be concerned about taking her clothes off before she ends up in, you know, in the shower. And I was like, that's fucking... Craig interjected. Yeah. That's right. I thought that was fucking great. I'm like, yeah, that's that that's very, very uh, self-aware of being know- knowing what to do. That was a great scene, bro. Like, to your point, like, there were so many... Uh, I think we'll we'll get to it. I believe when when we talk about our 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 top, um, you know, what's age the best. But like, I was just gonna say, man. I think like w- one thing I really enjoyed more than anything else was when he was actually playing poker. You saw him play poker in two different settings. You saw him play poker in you know in the Ocean Club, uh, the Four Seasons Ocean Club in in the Bahamas, which is a fucking beautiful resort. And the fact that it was shot there is ridiculous. And then in uh, in Monaco, when they were actually in the Monte Carlo Resort in in Monaco. And playing in two places like that and essentially, you know, winning at both. I thought that was fucking great. I thought like, you know, kind of like foreshadowing in two places from different parts of the world. It's great. It was fucking great, dude. What a, while we're on this tip, yeah. what a premise. Oh, easily. For the most enticing moments in a Bond movie that has two giant action sets. The chase scene that we mentioned earlier. And then the airport scene where you have a fucking airplane crash and explosions in an airport. For the most interesting moments to be in these poker games, yeah. these moments between two characters. And we always talk about being Tarantino fans and how dialogue breeds the best moments in movies. Easily. This is the Bond movie that set the tone for that. Oh, easily. So, yeah, well said, dude. Um, I got another one here. Talk to me. When Bond drinks the poison oh, that, was that Le Chiffre yeah. gives him, right? Yeah. And he has to rush and get himself to his car. And the top experts at the, <laughs> at the freaking agency have to analyze him and tell him to defibrillate himself so lashif feeds him digoxin and he goes into a lethal dysrhythmia and he has to defib himself ends up dying because yeah 
He couldn't get, he couldn't connect the pad. And then Vesper saves him. Bro, what a gentleman for his first words to her are you okay? being, are you okay? When he was just resurrected from the dead. So chivalry's not dead. Kudos, kudos to him, man. Chivalry is still alive. Oh, man. And then he gets back to the table and tells Lashir, sorry, I'm late. That last hand almost killed me. I'm not gonna lie. One of the most underrated thing about this bond is that my homies had a lot of good one-liners in this whole like. Oh, absolutely! I I, love it. You want to talk about another one-liner? How about the scene where he's chasing uh, to save Vesper, the car chase at the end? It ends up being a trap. Vesper's on the road, and he has to swerve to avoid missing her. So he gets ends up getting captured, butt ass naked on a chair. They cut the bottom of the chair out, and you're like, "Oh no, that's what they're doing." And he starts getting tortured by Lashif, right? And he starts screaming. Lashif asks him, okay, are you going to tell me? He's like, no, it itches to the left, to the left. <laughs> and he busts out in hysterical laughter, Shakespearean style, and says, now the whole world is going to know you died scratching my balls. <laughs> Probably the best one-liners oh, in any Bond movie since Sean Connery's days. <laughs> Oh man, that was, yeah, that was, that was a fucking great scene, bro. I I can't you can't say anything about the, the, those two scenes. One of the greatest I'll say in the movie. And then my final one, man, yeah. last rewatchable scene is you know they get the money. You think it's paradise. He's with Vesper on the boat, and then they end up capturing Vesper. Mm-hmm. She ends up drowning. Right. So favorite part about that scene, man, is first of all, best underwater photography. Of any awesome. Bond movie, of them filming that final moment where Vesper's dying and she just holds Bond's hands and brings them to her face, knowing there's nothing he can do. It, like, you didn't know how to feel as an audience watching that moment. Yeah. Like, you, Bond didn't know what to do for the first time in the movie, and we didn't either. And, you know, he ends up getting her out, but it's too late, doing CPR on her, trying to get her back. And in any previous Bond movie, that's like the perfect setup for Bond rescues the, the damsel in distress again, happy ending. And this one, she just dies. Yeah. That's it. And again, that's a different tone from any of the previous Bond movies in that he loses once again. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree with you. And I think the crazy thing about this loss of Vesper is that you see that this loss is something that he carries with him throughout the whole, you know, his whole tenure as James Bond, right? Like this whole thing is predicated upon him losing Vesper and that's still being a part of him. So it... The, yeah, pretty much the consequence that that put that one loss in his life put relative to the you know all the other kills, all the other people that he lost in his life, for that to pretty much be egging him for this whole series. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't. I don't, I don't think it could have been executed better than it was in Casino Royale. And you think about what that loss did, right? This is a movie with three distinct separate acts, yeah. but <laughs> the consequences of it is just a small introductory act in a greater Daniel Craig James Bond series where it sets up all the consequences and really sets up who he is as Bond going forward. So, well said, man. Let's get into another category here, Nabil. Let's talk about what aged the best, and I think you had a lot on this one. Go oh, for it, Oh, yeah, dude. no. For me, like, my biggest one, more than anything else, uh, it has to be the set pieces, and I think the shooting locations more than anything else, man. I think, you know, one really cool thing about James Bond was going to really cool and, like, uh, you know, nice places, but seeing it from, like, a realistic point of view, like, you know, to fucking the Ocean Club, right? The Four Seasons Ocean Club in fucking... Um, in the Bahamas, more than anything else, uh, you know the fucking, you know, in Monte Carlo and Monaco, really, the, the Monte Carlo resort that you had in Monaco, um, Cuba, like you went to so many fucking really amazing places, uh, you know, that you were able to see in this movie. That I think uh, Lake Como, more importantly, in Italy. 
that you had as well. I think this movie set forth like a lot of cool, like realistic places you can go, and it actually increased tourism in all three of those countries as well that people started visiting more because they saw a James Bond movie there. So I just think it's amazing, and I thought that aged so well. And I think when you just use your backdrop as being scenic places in the world that are completely realistic that people can go to, it's going to age phenomenally well. I think the next 40, this is one of those movies that you can watch, I think, in the next 30 to 40 years because it was so realistically done in an actual city as this backdrop that you can look back and say this is completely rewatchable for today's age. It's going to it's gonna age so well. Yeah. I agree. I mean, it's already like almost of what, 15-year-old 15 movie? movie? Yeah. And I watch it now and I could easily see it being released in theaters today. Oh, easily. Well said, dude. Um, let me give you one before we go with yeah. another one of yours. And there's a lot we have to unpack mm-hmm. here. Bro, how about... You want to talk about chemistry. There's chemistry between the Bond and the Bond girls in the past, between Bond and Q, Bond and whoever else is leading the agency at the time. How about Daniel Craig and Judy Dench with James Bond and M? Talk to me about their chemistry, bro. That's been the best chemistry I think I've ever seen in any Bond movie, bro. Um, you know, I think we were talking about this offline, but like in the books, M is a male, right? M is a character that James Bond looks to as just a normal character, just another male that authoritative figure. But in this, you see M played by Dame Judy, baby. Dame Judy Dench being pl- playing that shit, bro. The Dame herself, you're right. She, her playing that like that role more than anything else, you know, considered Britain's Meryl Streep more, you know, essentially, really. Uh, her playing that and her having these one-liners that quit back to James Bond. It's funny, like she puts him in check and it's full respect from him on his end, like undying loyalty. And her playing a motherly figure in a role where James Bond also kind of looks at women, kind of an objective, you, you know, manner, kind of looking at him more as resources really to have that to having a character like judy dench it pulls this it just puts this character more into full circle and i think the relationship that both of them have uh oscar fucking worthy right like it, that's all i could say they're both, they're both fucking great we talk about tropes so much so much already in this podcast man the trope for the chemistry for james bond with another female being a love interest or a, a sexual object and craig changing so much in this movie the chemistry between a male and a female and it being non-romantic and driving so much of the story forward is just something that's aged so well for me as well. So between the two of them, man, beautifully done. Um, let me ask you this, man. Mm-hmm. Another age the best, obviously, Vesper, Eva Green playing Vesper. Oh, yeah. Is this the best Bond female we've had? The best Bond girl we've had in the Easily. movie? Oh, dude, like the amount, like her character introduction... Um, her, I think her her maturation as a character and just the acting that it takes to be able to play that those different aspects of the character that were written by Ian Fleming originally in the book. Um, yeah, like I, I couldn't have asked for Eva Green to play a better role. I mean, again, play, taking a dramatic actor and putting them into like a mainstream role, it never ceases to impress. And ever, Eva Green just gives you one of the performance of the ages in that role as the the female to James Bond. Yeah, I mean, they instantly fall in love, and she has wit and counter to everything he throws at her. Bro, like, and you're going back to my best quotes of all time, like, uh, fucking Evergreen coming in, I'm the money, every penny of it. <laughs> like, you know, like an homage to money penny pretty much more than anything else, but like, what an introduction to a fucking character, I'm the money. Yeah. Like, that, that's a fucking power move right there. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, that Those are all my age the best. I, we kind of touched on a few of them in the most rewatchable scenes. Do you have any more, man? 
Bro, those were my main ones. I think the only other thing that I could think of off the top of my head of what's aged the best um, is, again, just like the fucking, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think that it's crazy, but like James Bond being the fashion icon that he is, just as fucking, you know, the clothes that he had, his attire that was fucking all, you know, created from like Tom Ford and all these other high-end fashion houses, that shit even today looks fucking dapper as fuck. Like, that's the only Bond I could look at and be like, all right, yeah, no, this guy is fucking like, you know, he's dressed like, you know, top to bottom as a fucking, you know, British royalty at this point. He knew uh, the scene where he's on the beach and mm-hmm. he comes out of the water in a Speedo. He was saying that he knew at that moment he was going to become a sex icon. Done. <laughs> for the next few decades. You know, in that scene specifically, the cast and crew had to fight off paparazzi on the beach from like getting in the way of their shooting. So yeah, that, that speed or that, yeah, that whatever the fuck he had on that swimsuit became the best selling men's fucking swimsuit for the next like three years after that shit. came. Oh, out. dudes probably wore it underneath their suits Done. for decades. Done dude. That's, it's fucking wild for that shit to be happening. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, man, anything aged the worst for you? Um, the only thing I could think of that's aged the worst, um, is that this is a very, very like mild pick at it, but I think it was kind of like the fact that, there was no hand-to-hand combat that you saw between Lashif and uh, you know Daniel Craig. I think this was the only non-action-heavy like Bond movie that really took place, and it was done all for the right reasons. But I think it was just different seeing that from a Bond movie, which after that you just see so many crazy you know opening like open opening sequences alone that just make this seem like a crazy movie. Like because Quantum of Solace had a crazy opening sequence, Skyfall, Skyfall Spectre. Yeah uh specter was fucking great and then even for this one there's no no time to kill or yeah no time to die fucking opening sequences are godly and for that to not live up to it in in skyfall it was necessary but it just left me with something i was like oh man seeing what was done afterwards i wish they did something now retrospectively we're spoiled man just aside from specter and quantum of solace just continued success and greatness from this bond franchise all the odd movies bro they always turn out great it's all the fucking even movie numbers that that ended up his ass but like one three and five can go down as one of the goats really i would say yeah my only age the worst is they kind of go hand in hand Mm -hmm. is no q yeah and no emphasis on tech okay that's fair right and i get they want to make this more of a grounded bond who doesn't have as much experience and he's just starting out and there's a few techs here and there there's a tracker there's the defibrillator pad we're going to consider that tech. Um, but yeah, man, not having a cue for the first time in a Bond movie in like 20 years was was tough. And at least seeing him in the next few movies was at least a little breath of fresh air. But I, it would have been a little nitpick for him to have been in there it's crazy right like we always think about like the the, the crazy gadgets that pierce brosnan would have in his old bond movies and to say like the biggest gadget that daniel craig had was i think when he had to go back to skyfall and he gives him a fucking a pistol and a fucking radio and homeboy has to say like this shit isn't christmas at all so i mean but that's saying that that was the best piece of tech that he got throughout the whole series was the third movie in so yeah, like the, this was not a tech-driven bond at all, which I think that's going to be something that's going to change going forward. I think this is the last time we ever saw like a non-techy bond. I agree. Let's do uh, six man of the year award. Who was the one who came in and gave you a fiery performance? Brief, not a central character in the story, but still stole oh, the Dame scenes. Dame Judy, bro. Dame, Dame Judy, six man. Dame of the year. Judy. Yeah. 
Easily. She's not in every scene at all, but every scene that she's in, she steals it. There's no other... I don't think there's any other actor in this whole, like, f- movie with Daniel Craig that I think goes up and it's like, all right, you're... Right, you're there's only a couple that would say, all right, like, you are definitively the better actor. But every time Dame Judy is on a fucking screen with uh, with any character, she steals it. She, she fucking steals it, bro. Like, it's great. All her little English, like, random insults. You've got a bloody cheek. Do you know what a bloody cheek is? I don't know what a bloody You're, cheek is. You're uh, someone who's flippant and very arrogant. That's the most British thing in the world. Beautiful. I don't one more word and I'll have you killed. That's it. Undying loyalty. Oh my goodness. Yeah, she uh, she did steal the show. I would say like Lashif, but he was too big of a character to have as a six man. Mathis was clutch as fuck. Mathis is that guy that you want to meet if you're ever out like or about and you're just you know at a bar or anything like that. And Mathis just seems like one of those guys that'd be sitting there eating tapas in Spain or something and just with wine. That's that's what he reminds me of. Yeah, playing a CIA agent and Pretty like much. that's a, again like one of the OG characters from the novels that I don't think had been played before on a Bond movie. No, I don't think so. Um, let me see here. Apex Mountain, I've got, how about Maz Mikkelsen? Is this like his best performance? We've seen him a lot in Hollywood now. Yeah. He plays Polar. He played in the Hannibal series. He was in a, a couple other kind of big time movies as well. Is this the first, is this him kind of launching his career and coming into the spotlight of Hollywood? Yeah. So he was always, again, he was known as one of those theater actors. He'd be in a lot of these like indie fucking, you know, movies that were, uh, like, you know, played at, um, in can in the, at the Cannes Festival or pretty much a lot of these like movie of like these movie events more than anything else, but I think this was his first break into like actual Hollywood and being a big name actor. And yeah, like talk about being like the resurrection of what a Bond villain should be. This guy just looks like a fucking Bond villain, bro. Just the way he looks, he looks like something that would be off a Bond villain. And to make him fucking like you know tear fuck you know having blood as tears is fucking crazy. Hemolacria is what it's called. Beautiful. Um, yeah, and like the first time we see that happen, bro, you learn everything you need to about his character, right? He's playing a poker game. He's trying to win some money. He says to the other guy in the final hand, they're both all in. He says, I have two pair and you have a 17% chance of making your straight. Boom. Gets the guy to fold. He wins the money. Tells you everything you need to know about him too without like any exposition, which yeah. I think like over exposition in a story is always the sign of a bad movie to me yeah and there's no exposition in any of this i agree i think the the, it's like the golden rule of storytelling right like show me don't tell me right like actually show it to me and it actually happening rather than just fucking telling me the exposition all at once so yeah this movie does that beautifully and i think to be able to show it to your audience they show it beautifully on what lachif really ends up being throughout the rest of this movie yeah all right let's get into a little half-ass internet research man Uh, i had this is an interesting one the chase scene where Craig has to avoid uh, Vesper in the middle of the road and he flips that Aston yeah. Martin. Did you know that they world accidentally record? broke the yeah. Guinness World Record yeah. for most canon-assisted roles with seven total roles? It's crazy. When you see it in real life, like, holy fuck. Like, again, this goes back to what's aged the best. Like, bro, we can look at that thing like 30 years later and be like, yeah, that's fucking wild. They actually did that shit in real they, life. They, so they had to do it three times, you know? Yeah. Uh, the Ashton Martin gave them all three cars for free Pretty for nice. product placement. Oh, absolutely. $300,000 each and yeah. all three were fucking wrecked. I bet, yeah. <laughs> but the amount of money that Aston Martin just is able to sell vehicles just because of that tutelage that you have to James Bond. That's it. That's the only reason they're relevant anymore. Let's see. Uh, more half-ass internet research for you. This is the first ever James Bond movie where it rains. In oh, that's 40, true. I didn't think 40 about years that. of James fuck. Bond, <laughs> first Bond movie where it rains. So well done for really breaking Hollywood grounds here. Beautiful. Yeah. 
Do you have any any other ones? I've got a couple more to throw. I would out say here. this is half-assed internet research, but I would say like from like the book variant to what we had in real life, like the way that you know, spoiler alert, the, the way that Vesper dies in the book was completely different than the way that she died in the movies, which I think the movies ended up actually doing it better than what the book was. And in the book, when she ends up, you know, betraying Bond, she dies by suicide when wow. she actually eats, you know, just poison pills. And, it, you know, she just dies in a very unmiraculous way in, in that stature. And in the movie, they obviously have a much more of a sequence. She kind of, she dies by suicide, technically, you would say, but I guess in a lot more dramatic and uh, a more, I guess, movie-friendly role than what would be said in the book. So, yeah, dude, they actually did it out better in the book in the movie than they could have in the books, in my opinion. Well said, well said. Um, let me give you one here. I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah. I'm going to put two words together and just give me your first impressions, okay? Okay. Tarantino, Bond. That'd be insane. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a R-rated fucking Bond. Oh, my goodness. So before they greenlit this movie, Tarantino pitched to Eon about doing a 60s set black and white Pierce Brosnan Bond movie. Oh, God. <laughs> And the and the studio rejected it. They said, "Fuck no." One because it would have cost them thirty million to bring Brosnan back, and they yeah. didn't want to shell out that kind of money. And two, they wanted to reboot the franchise. But what are you? What are your thoughts on a sixty set black and white Tarantino led Bond movie? I don't think at that time it would have been accepted. I really don't, just because I think there was a different understanding. Like I thought them going as far as they did right now with Daniel Craig's Bond was pushing Bond to what the extreme was. I think you're going from just one end to the other if you just go from fucking Pierce Brosnan dying the other day to you know fucking Tarantino done Bond at this point. Like I, you're just, you got to have a buffer with this Daniel Craig Bond before you just go all in with the fucking Tarantino yeah, Bond, bro. Dude. I think now you may have someone a green light to be able to do it which would be really fun to see but bro like i've always just wanted to see it and this this director has said it as well i i want to see nolan bond bro like i want to see nolan and tom hardy go at it with the james bond character wow and that's the one that's one movie that nolan said that he's always want wanted to do and he has he and the guy asked him like hey what plot would you do? he's like hey that's that's my that's my ticket bro that's my ticket to actually get this movie done so we, we don't know what it would be about but and no one said that this would be a dream project that he would want to do with Tom Hardy. It's ba- Tom Hardy is basically playing Eves from Inception. That's it. As James Bond, right? Yeah, Just play it. that character and you're good, dude. Exactly. Wow. Damn, that's inter- that's an interesting thought. That's an interesting what if. And yeah. while we're on the topic of what ifs, let's talk about casting what ifs. Um, there were a few guys rumored to play this Bond before mm-hmm. they ultimately went with Daniel Craig. One of the finalists was Henry Cavill, mm-hmm. Superman, right? They had him, but they said he was too young, and the studio decided not to go with him. He's an interesting one for a future Bond movie as well, now that he's come of age and he's a more seasoned Hollywood actor. I think he's an interesting option to go forward. Carl Urban? That's fucking hilarious. Our favorite guy from uh, The Boys, Amazon's The Boys. Ian McGregor, bro. Think about Obi yeah, Bond. Obi Bond Kenobi. Obi Bond Kenobi playing the role. He doesn't seem like imposing enough physically, though. I don't know. Gerard Butler, speaking of physicality, Orlando Bloom. Um, there were rumors of Hugh Jackman. Yeah, there's yeah. But he said they never offered it to him. And then a fan favorite that like everyone on the internet wanted to see happen, but they never offered it to him was Clive Owen. Yeah, I heard about Clive. Uh, them wanting Clive Owen to be able to do it as well. That would be that would have been really good. It's crazy. Yeah, that fucking the list that they had to half bond. And I think the directors had chosen that, like, yeah, we had, like, 200 people that we wanted, but we just wanted you. Like, they just knew off the bat that they wanted Daniel Craig, which is just crazy to me to be able to choose that over 
you know all these other options that you had but well done the fucking studio did it right bro yeah well done and honestly going forward who do you think next bond should be bro i i don't know man you know there's there's a lot of a lot of controversy and even stating your opinion right Uh if you say anything other than a female or a person of color you're a racist i don't know if they should go with the other female character in the final the last bond movie that we saw maybe like an amazon spin-off series now that amazon's bought the rights to this would be cool to see but as far as a main Bond character, someone that I think that could pull the role off, Idris Elba is very interesting. Um, the only thing is he's like 50 now, which is crazy to think. All the other Bonds were older guys, though. I mean, yeah, Craig's Bond is the youngest Bond ever. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, to be in his 50s to be able to do it, but I mean, if you look, they're all in their 40s when they were doing it more than anything else. The only ones that got into their 50s were people that were already established, like three or four movies in deep, and to have Idris Elba to stay, if he's 50 now, by the time he'll be done, he'll be 65 if he stays as long as he does it with that. Hey, bro, listen. Black don't crack. That's true. That is very, very true at this point. So he would age well as well. But yeah, you're, the age factor has got to be taken into consideration. Man, a Tom Hardy-Nolan pairing would be... <laughs> ridiculous i would i have a quarter chub right now thinking about it oh, that's goodness. wild um henry cavill would be interesting cavill would be cool it's just kind of like the easy safe choice and i feel like we're past that i agree in the bond series i think one guy that like i would i really want to see i don't know if you ever watched bridgerton uh but now it's a show that comes on, on on netflix and the guy who plays i think he's the it's the chief or uh uh, I forget the character, but he has, he's, he's a black British guy. He's like 31. He'd be fucking great as, uh, as Bond as well. I think that's one of the few guys I can think of. But I don't think there's any, like somebody off the bat. I know somebody mentioned James McAvoy having James McAvoy as Bond, which I think that'd be freaking freak hilarious or Michael Fassbender as well. That's an, Ooh, Michael Fassbender. That's interesting. So those two would be pretty, uh, pretty funny choices. I know one was the other option that they had were people talking about Tom Hiddleston, uh, Loki as fucking Bond. Which I, I don't know, bro. Like, there's there's all these options I keep thinking. I'm like, all right. What do you think about the King of the North, Rob Stark? The Rob as Stark James is, Bond as James Bond. I don't We're know. Gonna, I think it all depends on how he does in Eternals. Yeah, I, dude. I was gonna say I'm excited for <laughs> I, if if he comes off as like cheesy on the Eternals, yeah, he's fuck. That's not gonna happen. But if he comes off as playing like like a real badass, then yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll see, man. So the Bond skit. That's interesting. All these choices are interesting. I'm glad we got Craig, and obviously he didn't disappoint. Vesper. There were a lot of choices for Vesper, man. They were uh, in talks with Angelina Jolie, who just didn't want the time commitment at the time. Charlize Theron was on there as well. And then Scarlett Joe. That would be fucking crazy. Someone witty, someone that could go toe-to-toe with Bond, who's shown like Oscar level acting as well to pull off the death and payoff that she did. Scarlett Joe would have been interesting. Uh, I thought a, a fun one was Eva Longoria audition, but they said she was too Latina. <laughs> I love it. The, the reverse of what you do with Daniel Craig. Yeah. Do you have any other ones that you would have liked to see in the role? Uh, those would be a lot. Of, dude, I, I have nobody else I'd be able to see in that role, honestly. I mean, you hit a lot of people that I, I think could have really done it. I mean, who else? You could put like the the normal other people in there that you would think, like Natalie Portman or somebody else. Maybe I don't know. Like you could throw any throw any top level actress in there, and that thing could have worked out. Evergreen just held her own with all the tops in, in the yeah. field. And she and the chemistry between her and Craig is worth more than any acting chops could pay for. Absolutely. You know they. Uh, I don't know if you know this man, a Bollywood legend, Golshan Grover. Oh my god! Do you know him? Yeah, he's he's literally a caricature. It's you know great. they they initially had him cast as Lashif. No. Yeah. Are you serious? I would yes. not be able to take that seriously. Yeah, apparently uh, he like 
he leaked that he was the character and some details about the movie and the producers got mad and uncast him and brought in Maz yeah, instead. That's yeah. Hel- yeah, well, fucking well done. Oh my God, that would have been... <laughs> that's hilarious. That's it, man. That's Those are all the casting what-ifs I had. Anything else on your mind? You good on my end, bro. And that's it. That's... Bro. Yeah. We did it. Casino Royale, in my opinion, one of the best Bond movies ever. So to close this pot off, man, give me, and, you know, No Time to Die included, give me your top four Bond movies ever. For me, ever? In order. Uh, bet. Casino Royale, number one. Casino Royale's number one. Yeah. Oh, easily. The best for me, personally. Wow, okay. Yeah, best Bond movie. Casino I thought I was going to give you a hot take, but okay. No, Casino Royale is easily the best one, from, in, in in my opinion. Uh, Skyfall at two. We're one and two together so yeah. far. So at three, I would end up putting... I, I put No Time to Die as three. No Time to Die was fucking phenomenal. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, four, I put uh, To Her Majesty's uh, Secret Service at four. And five, I'll put Goldfinger. Okay. So that's my top five. So Spectre doesn't make it in the top no, five? No, Spectre does not make it. No. <laughs> Spectre was... Uh, it's so much... No Time to Die made up for how Spectre was. I'll just say that. Yeah. I... Uh, I, I think No Time to Die will be my number three as well. I haven't okay. seen it yet, but just from what I've heard and trusting your takes as well, I think it's going to go in my top three. And just because it's the Craig movies, man, yeah. like this Bond tone uh, ages so much better and is, is so much better to our palate as what we're, what we're used to from Hollywood. So the only other places I disagree with you is Goldfinger and uh, Goldeneye. I would okay. put both of those in my top four. And then what was your number five? Uh, number four was Honor Majesty Secret Service. What was your number five? My number five was uh, Goldeneye. Okay. And then my number five, just because I don't have room for No Time to Die yet, would have to be Spectre, man. Okay. Just expanding the world and setting the grounds for what I think it does for the final movie. Uh, and then that's it. We're done. Casino Royale podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks for sticking with us through everything. Nabil, any sendaways? No, bro. I'm excited. We, we're talking about the first fucking James Bond movie to have Daniel Craig in Casino Royale. And we hope after after my boy Volus sees No Time to Die, we're going to come back with the fucking No Time to Die closure to what we saw with Daniel Craig as well, bro. So I'm excited for that. Can't wait for the next one of these we do. I think we're going to rewatch The Matrix. Oh, yeah. And get ready for the reboot, sequel, prequel, reimagination, whatever the fuck this new Matrix is. Um, and so stay tuned hey, bro. in the meantime bye, bye.